Good morning. Welcome to GC3. I want to thank you for uh, blessing us uh, by coming and worshiping us with us this morning. Turn with me this morning, if you would please, to the Acts of the Apostles. We're going to continue in the book of Acts. This book was written by the by Luke. Uh, he was a physician. He was a great record keeper, very detailed. And this book was details the, be, the beginning of the Christian church and its first evangelical missions out into the world. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the conversion from Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle. Saul is one of the most amazing conversion stories. Saul was a, a persecutor of Christians. He hated them with every breath. He hated Christ. He hated the teachings of Christ. He thought they were blasphemy, and he would go in and he would arrest the Christians in the synagogues. He would drag them out and take them before the Sadducees, where they were oftentimes put to death. But on the road to Damascus, Damascus to, to arrest a group of Christians, um, he had this amazing conversion. Christ appears to him, and in all his glory, he knocks Saul from his horse to his feet, strikes him blind, and, and Saul recognizes Christ as the Lord. Saul goes on into Damascus, blinded for three days. He's praying, and God sends Ananias to Saul to share the gospel with Saul. Saul begins proclaiming Christ in the synagogues and everywhere. This is, this is a life radically transformed. And we're going to continue looking at this transformed life because it, the focus on, on Saul's conversion uh, it's one of the most detailed conversions in all of Scripture, and the impact on the rest of the world of this conversion is still felt today. I mean, last week we saw the basic components of, of conversion, hearing the Word of God, we receive the Holy Spirit, we commune with God in prayer, and then we're called to service. We saw all those in the conversion of Paul. But before I get into the text today, I, as I was putting this together, I was reminded of another conversion that would happen centuries later. During the 18th century, while America was experiencing the Great Awakening, over in a little town in England named Bristol, there was a preacher with a great evangelistic zeal. His name was George Whitfield, one of the great preachers of all time. Now, Whitfield had, a, had great impact on Bristol and was a dynamic preacher. And the town saw many converted lives. But there was a group in the town known as the Hellfire Club, and they were adamantly opposed to Christianity. They believed themselves academic. They mocked Christianity. They mocked the Bible. But they were most unmerciful to George Whitfield, attacking him verbally and mocking him publicly. The Hellfire Club's leader was a man named Thorpe, and he hated George Whitfield more than any. Whitfield was known for being severely cross-eyed, and according to Whitfield himself in his writings, Thorpe had a spot-on impersonation of Whitfield. When Thorpe would cross his eyes and then mock and ridicule everything Whitfield said, Thorpe attacked Whitfield in, the, in this, the prayers in the pulpit square or in the public square. He called him Dr. Squintum publicly. One of the Hellfire Club's favorite meeting spots to, to mock Whitfield was a local pub. And one night in the pub, the Hellfire Club gathered and began in, entertaining the entire place with their mocking and ridicule. They read from the Bible, blaspheming it. And their leader, Thorpe, had gotten his hand on a copy of George Whitfield's sermon. And, and with the Bible in one hand and a sermon in the other, Thorpe crossed his eyes and he began reading and mocking. And the sermon was on Luke 13. And when Thorpe came to Luke 13, 3, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He read that aloud to the entire pub. 
And the word of God pierced his heart for the first time. Thorpe stopped. He sat down trembling. He confessed the truth of the gospel and that Jesus was Lord. His goal was to mock and ridicule, but he was radically transformed instead. Thorpe would go on to become a a very prolific evangelist all over Bristol and, and further. This is a life radically transformed by God's grace through God's very word. Thorpe heard the word. You know, he had listened and heard the word for years, but he couldn't understand it. So he mocked it and he ridiculed it. But the whole time he was hearing it, his heart was being cultivated and primed by the Holy Spirit for the moment that he would be called. And when he had heard the word from his own mouth, nonetheless, that day, and he was called by God's grace, he could understand it. Through the Holy Spirit, which revealed God's truth to us through his word. He prayed, communing with God, and he was called to service, and he obeyed evangelizing in the name of Christ. Look, look, at, look at Paul. As Saul, he, was, he hunted and persecuted Christians. They were put to death. He hated Christ's teachings and anyone who followed it. And he had heard Christ's teachings from Christians repeatedly. He had heard Stephen's even prayers when Stephen was being stoned to death. His heart was being cultivated by the Holy Spirit. And on the road to Damascus, when he, had, when he heard the words of Christ directly, he was radically transformed. He communed with God in prayer. He received the Holy Spirit. He was called to service. That's every single life called to Christ. That is every conversion. It's a radical transformation. Turn to Acts 9. Starting with verse 19 through 31. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving uh, that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. There was, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had, been, he had seen the Lord who had spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Remember when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was knocked from his horse and immediately recognized Jesus as Lord. The first aspect of of a life transformed is faith in Christ. Paul had heard the word, Jesus himself, and it was his, his time. He was drawn and he had faith in Christ. Thorpe, when the call in his life was aligned with the moment he had heard the word and it pierced his heart for the first time, he had faith in Christ. He sat down and professed it. A transformed life always begins with faith. At the moment, at that moment, instantaneously, Paul was a new creation. At that moment, instantaneously, Thorpe was a new creation. At the moment of our conversion, our lives are transformed by faith in Christ. That is a miracle. You were dead, now you're, and you had enmity in your heart towards God, and, and you were as far from God as could be, and then by God's grace, 
You have faith in Christ. You've been transformed. You're alive. Now, that's the immediate transformation. That is your nature transformed. At that moment, you're standing before God is transformed. Prior, you were to feel the full wrath of God's judgment. Now you've been imparted with Christ's righteousness that you will know only God's grace and mercy. The Holy Spirit has entered you and your nature has changed. That's an instantaneous change. At that very moment, at the moment of salvation, your position before God changes. That's a positional change. Now understand with that, with all that being said, just because your nature has changed, just because your position has changed, it can take a little longer for the features of that change to appear sometimes. It can take a little bit for the practical changes to occur. To occur. These are changes in our daily life and daily patterns and how, how we go about doing things. Sometimes it takes a little bit for some of those changes to appear outside of, of us in our behaviors. See, in a positional change always starts with faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is required for salvation. God provides the faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So God commands us to have faith, then provides that faith because we could never provide it on our own. We have no righteousness, according to Paul in Romans 10, or Romans 3.10. So, so it begins with faith. Next, we, we commune with God in prayer. An immediate res response for a believer is always prayer. As a believer, we desire to be in prayer to God. What is Saul doing while he's waiting in the house in Damascus, blind? He was praying. And then we see that faithful servanthood. Look at Acts 9 again, starting with verse 19. And taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And he has not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. A transformed life brings a desire to serve. God has called you to fulfill a purpose. It's a purpose of service. And we see immediately Saul desiring to fulfill the purpose of desire to serve. And you've been made new. The moment of conversion, you are completely new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has Come, this is your nature. You have a whole new nature now. Prior to this, you had a sin nature. You were, you were, you were completely corrupted by sin. But now you have the righteousness of Christ imparted in you. This does not mean that after you're saved immediately, you never sin or you'll never have doubts or that you'll, you'll never make a boneheaded decision. You'll never get angry. No, no, that just doesn't mean that. After conversion, you're not perfect. There are no perfect Christians. What this does mean, though, is that this new you does not fit into the world. Look at verse for our text in, in Acts 9, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Those old cohorts of Saul, those that he ran with, the people that he was, he, he was with in the world, 
Those people wanted to kill him now. Listen, when we're a new creation, when we're a new creature, we feel out of place in the world around us. The world around us, they don't like us anymore. And we need to be okay with that. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, now notice I, I want to say right there that it says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. This is Jesus speaking. You notice it does not say, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, because you chose to leave the world and come to me. No, it says, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. We've been chosen out of the world. Saul was chosen out of the world, and the world hated him. This, they will hate us. That's okay, because they truly hate Christ, in which they see reflected in us. We are children of his now. We are new creatures. We are new creations. We are no longer belonging to the world. This is all part of our positional change. This is instantaneous. We Immediately, we're called out of the world. Immediately. Um, we have faith. Immediately, we are, our position before God has changed. But there's practical change. Back to Acts 9, starting on verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Saul is now spirit-filled. His life is now led by the Spirit. What does that look like? What does that outward change look like? Or, or what should that look like? We've had an inward change. We've had a positional change. But how does that apply outwardly? Where's the practical application? Well, it starts because our priorities must change. Listen, our salvation is 100% God. We play no part in our salvation. That is a wholly 100% the sovereign work of a sovereign, perfect, and righteous God. But we do have responsibilities in our walk. We do have responsibilities and these this are the, 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 the practical changes. And then one of the, the, the biggest is that our priorities must change. Listen, right now you have things that are priorities in your life. There are things that you do that no matter what, you must do them. There are things that you never miss going to. There are things that you never miss uh, uh, speaking of. There are things you never, people you never miss speaking to. There are just things that are priorities in your life. We need to make Christ a priority. We need to be intentional and deliberate to make the Holy Spirit a priority. That starts by being in God's word. This must be a priority for the Christian. This is non-negotiable. When we are converted, when our position changes before God, we had a hunger to for, to be in the word of God. We hunger for that word. We hunger for a greater understanding of his very word. It's a desire to be in that word. This is how you're fed and that you mature 
most of all is by the word of God. But we must be intentional and deliberate in being in there. God's not going to forcefully take us and push us into his word. The desire is going to be there. We're going to have that desire, but we have to be intentional and deliberate in getting into the word of God. Secondly, we need to be intentional and deliberate in worshiping corporately with fellow brothers and sisters. This means intentional church attendance because that's where you're fellowshipping in worship. Verse 26 And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. The first thing Paul does is attempt to fellowship and worship with fellow believers. Back in verse 19, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. There's a a desire placed in us at the time of conversion and our positional change before God. These desires are now in us. We have new desires, so now we must have new priorities. We have new desires. We get a desire to to hunger for God's word, to be in God's word, to be fed by God's word. We get a hunger to corporately worship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to be around with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But we have to be intentional and deliberate to, 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 to not just have those as desires, but to actually those to become our priorities. Next, we need to, to be intentional and deliberate in being aware of sin, looking for sin and identifying it, learning what it will take to flee from it. By the way, this is made very clear the more that you're in the word of God. We have to prioritize these things. When our priority is to be in the word of God, and when our priority is to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ, we are more aware of the sin in our life. We are more aware of the sin that's out in the world, and and we can identify it. And we can remove it by the grace of God. It's all God who removes it, but we need to be deliberate and intentional in fleeing from it, and not entertaining sin, and not entertaining the sin in our life. Many Christians wanting to be spirit-led have no understanding that these things must be intentional and they must make them a priority. Sadly, in many churches, the spiritual priorities are, in many Christians' lives, by the way, the spiritual priorities are always the first sacrifice for everything else. I want to look for a moment and just use that as an example, the fellowship piece. More, I want to go more in depth in this for a moment because as a believer, our desire should be to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember, you've been called out of the world, but you've been adopted into the family of God, and he has prepared brothers and sisters for you. Paul had it rough because everyone he was friends with prior to his conversion, they now wanted to kill him. And everyone that he at one time wanted to kill, he now needed and he desired to fellowship with. That's a, that's a radical transformation. Look at verses 26 through 28 again. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. They were a little frightened at first. I mean, here comes Saul just strolling in to their meeting. The guy that they feared, the guy that had been dragging them out of synagogues and arresting them. But look, God had prepared Barnabas to be the one to bring him into the fold. And Paul desired that. 
See, this is real love in Christ among brothers and sisters. We see it here. Look at, look at what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 7 through 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is yearning for that fellowship in Romans 1, 8 through 10. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may know or may now at last succeed in coming to you. Listen, the Holy Spirit puts a desire in us to be with other believers. We have to be intentional in prioritizing that. Here's my concern, though, as I see it very troubling today. There's a lot of trouble with this. When we do not practice this, it becomes easy to withdraw. It becomes easy to not follow through. Listen, the longing and the desire is not enough. We must be intentional and deliberate to follow through. And many Christians today, or many who claim to be of Christ, they, they prioritize other things in church over fellowship with other believers. I, used to, I, I don't know how many times I've had parents come up to me and say, we have a hard time getting our older children, our older teens to come to church. They no longer desire to come to church. And come to find out because when they were younger, everything else took priority over church. Baseball, soccer, football, all these other things that happened on Sundays, travel leagues that they would go and, and do other than being at church, showing that nothing comes before fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ. Children will prioritize what they see their parents prioritize. It's gotten easier to withdraw from church. When I can pop a sermon on YouTube and just watch it, why go to church, Right? And the more regular that becomes, the desire to fellowship and that desire to be with other believers begins to wane. And we can become mired and we can, become, we can fall into habits and thoughts. And then we become disconnected from the body. But what is troubling in all this is, is I see many proclaiming Christians who desire to be around those in the world more than they desire to be around other believers. And the Bible is very explicit about this. Look at 1 John 2. 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. First off, when it's talking about the world, it's not talking about the planet Earth. It's speaking of the people that are out in the world, the non-believers, the pagan cultures, the people outside the church, the culture, the society, and their practices. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. James 4.4, 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Listen, we are to evangelize and share the gospel with the world. But we're not to be partaking in the things of the world with those in the world. We're not to be hanging out and hanging and running with those in the world. We've been called out of the world. And let's be clear. Even if they claim to be believers, their lives are more like the world. This doesn't mean that, that we, we seclude them completely out of our lives. 
We're going to see how we handle here in a moment those relationships with those in the world. But our desire is not to be like those in the world or to hang with those in the world while they do the things of the world. Look at 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. This is, this is Paul writing. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. I mean, there's a lot to this passage here to unpack. And, and when we start going through 1 Corinthians, we will, we will see that. But this is direct stuff. Listen, it makes a very clear cut distinction between those people in the world, those who are outside the church, those who have never been called or not claiming to even have been called or drawn or not claiming Christ, those who are, who are, are, are very open in their sin and, and direct in their sin, we can't judge those people because if God hasn't drawn them yet, they don't know they're even sinners. They don't know their need for a Savior. So we, we evangelize. That's the mission field. We evangelize them. We don't partake in what they're doing. We don't run with them and partake in what they're doing, but we pray for them. We evangelize them. We want to see them come in as brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to see them be called out of the world, which is where they're living now, and be brought into the family of Christ. But then he distinguishes between those people and people in the church who are practicing the same practices of the world. Those claiming to be of Christ or those claiming to be drawn, those who are saying that they're Christian, those who are saying that they're believers, but are practicing and desiring and doing all the things the world does. And look what it says there. Not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Not to associate with anyone who's claiming that they're one of your brothers, they're, they're a fellow Christian. If he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, this is covering, this is a pretty encompassing list of sin here. Not even to eat with such a one. What he's saying there is if they're in there, they're in the church, you're not to partake in their fantasy by going along with it and saying that they're okay, even though you know that their life is in the world. Like their life doesn't reflect Christ. Their life doesn't reflect a life, even though they're claiming they're of Christ. Their life doesn't reflect a life that's being sanctified, that's been imparted with the righteousness of Christ. But yet they're in there claiming to be Christian. They're claiming to be your brother and sister. Don't go along with that fantasy. We're not to, to go ahead and, and just continue to tell them that they're okay. We're to hold them accountable. We are to judge their decisions in their lives, not to our standard, but to the standard of the scriptures. We're to hold, judge them by God's word. We're not to desire to be like them. We're not to be running with them. But today there seems to be this desire for many people sitting in the church to be like the people in the world, to be hanging with the people in the world, to be partaking of the things of the people in the world. And part of that is then to not fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know how many people come up to me and tell me 
but they've got this friend who claims to be Christian, but they never are in church. They belong to no church, but they're they're they claim to be a believer, but they live their life like like the world lives. Their their desires are the desires of the world. That's these people. This is who it's distinguishing here. It says, do not play along with their fantasy. Do not continue to to appease them, but hold them accountable. These are new priorities. Listen, this is this is pretty pretty direct language here. This isn't the hey, come one, come all, come on in. You know, we just love you, and you get to be however you want to be and whatnot. No, this is the standard set in the scriptures. This, those living like this are in defiance of God's word. So we have to make new priorities, and we need to be intentional. In those, with those priorities. We need to be deliberate in those priorities. We need to be intentional in spending time with God. That's being in his word. That's praying. That's spending time. That's what I hear people say all the time. Like They'll come up with, with an issue or a problem. We need to spend time in the word, I'll say. You need to get in the word. I, I, I was in the word. Like last Sunday, I was, I was reading here at church last Sunday. Now listen, if, if your Bible reading starts with last. You need to be reading the Bible daily. We need to be saturating ourselves daily with God's word. It matures us. It feeds us. The Holy Spirit works through God's word to give us wisdom so that we can know the very nature and the will of God. It grows us. It convicts us. Listen, uh, how this all ties together here, and the fact that our desire, we, we, when we are convert, when we when we are converted, at that very moment, and our position changes, there becomes a, a desire in us to be in God's word, and that is, then there's a desire placed in us to fellowship and worship corporately with other brothers and sisters in Christ, learning and growing and maturing in God's word talking about speaking and sharing God's word in, 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 the, in, in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. And identifying sin needs to be a priority, and we do that through God's word, through the Holy Spirit revealing what sin is and our sin nature in God's word. This is very pivotal. We must be intentional, spending time with God in prayer and in his word. And identifying and being aware of our sin in, in us and the sin around us. And what we need to remove it. We need to be intentional and deliberate in fellowship and worship. Desiring to be with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And now look at verse 28 through 30 of Acts 9. Right in our text. This is, this is, this is great right here. Listen. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Those were the Jews out that, were, that came from outside Jerusalem, which Saul was one of those. And they wanted Saul dead, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. The very next thing. So our desire at the time of conversion, when our position changes before God, we get these desires. We get these new desires, these new cravings to be in God's word. We get these, these cravings to fellowship with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we start to identify 
with the, or the desire to identify the sin in our life and re, and remove it. And we and and then we get the desire to speak about God. We get this desire to speak about God. You can't hold it back. You want to tell everybody. You were dead, now you're alive. You were blind, now you can see the real world for the first time. This is a desire in us to share with others. But we must be intentional making it a priority in our life. Usually right after somebody's baptized, people come out of the water and for days they talk about it. They can't get enough of, of just sharing it and telling everybody, but then it wanes and it's, they stop talking about it. And suddenly it's not so much a priority in their life when it was new and fresh. It's no longer a priority and they're no longer intentional, but we have to make it a priority and we have to be intentional. Listen, a miracle happened in Paul's life. He was dead and now he was alive and he was going to tell everyone about it. He had this desire to tell everyone about it. And he was deliberate and intentional to tell everyone about it. He's preaching it everywhere, even taking it, taking on fellow Hellenist Jews. They wanted to kill him. It doesn't matter to Paul. God was radically transformed. God has radically transformed Paul and he wants everyone to know. All through Paul's ministry, he shares Christ. And he could. You know why? Because it also goes back to the fact that he was in God's word. He was studying those Old Testament prophecies. He knew them. He, he knew Old Testament backwards and forwards. They didn't have the New Testament at that time because obviously they were living it out in real time. But he knew God's word. If we're going to share God, we have this desire to share God. It's placed in us. We need to know God's word to be able to share the truth about God, his nature and his character. So we need to be in his word daily. This is how this all ties together. All of this ties together. This is, this is not like, like some everybody gets a little bit of random stuff here or there. This ties together in every believer's life. Paul studied, washed himself with God's word, and with the desire to, to share it and to speak about it, always nonstop, he was able to prioritize and be intentional with it. Listen, when Paul came into a town, he knew he was probably going to the jail. Why? He was, he was imprisoned numerous times because he knew that's where he would end up for preaching about Christ. Boy, what a radical transformation in his life. He was the one that used to go into the synagogues and drag those who were preaching about Christ out and arrest them, maybe lead them to their death. And now here he was in, in very much danger of not only imprisonment, but being put to death. And here he is, the one preaching it. Can't stop talking about it, making it intentional, making it a priority. He didn't care uh, if he wasn't allowed. He wouldn't shut up about it. Paul preached with such a fervency that he did not partake in anything that might allow others to use against him in his ministry. Such a priority was telling others the gospel that Paul rearranged, reprioritized his total life so that no one could bring a charge or a claim against him other than that he was preaching the gospel. And if a quarter of the Christians today had that kind of fire in them, imagine what this world would be like. And Paul was telling people about him. Paul was telling people about Christ. He was taking them to Christ. He was telling them about God. He was not telling them about himself. He did not focus on himself. The focus was always on Christ. Romans 10, 17. 
So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Not faith comes from hearing about your life. Not faith comes from hearing your testimony. For those sitting in churches that are all fluff, not faith comes from hearing a pastor up there trying to entertain you or telling you funny stories. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Christianity is not centered on man's life. Christianity is centered on Christ, the Savior. Him being God coming to earth to be the very payment he demands for sin to defeat death so all that would be called to him would never know death. So Saul, soon to be Paul, is radically transformed. First positionally, his position before God changed immediately on conversion. Second, practically, he prioritized, he was intentional. He had to change to fulfill the calling on his life to be spirit-led. And look at what happens due to these things. Look at Verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church is built up. Why? Because not only Saul, but all these men had prioritized everything they needed to to fulfill the calling on their life to be used as an instrument to grow God's kingdom. At the time of their conversion, at the time that they were their position changed before God, they were given these desires but they had to be intentional and deliberate in making those desires, the practice, the practical application in life of those desires, priority. They were deliberate. They were intentional. They're the same things that, that all of us must practice, that must prioritize to be used to fulfill the calling on our life. We must prioritize being in God's word, maturing and growing through the word. We must prioritize praying and communing with God. We must prioritize fellowship and worship corporately with brothers and sisters in Christ. It is paramount in our growth and maturing. And we must prioritize and be deliberate and intentional about speaking about God. We must be intentional about sharing the gospel and discipling others. Each and every person called to God is called with reason and purpose, God's purpose, for God's will, for God's glory. But we must make fulfilling this purpose a priority in all aspects of our life. What are your priorities? Your life was radically transformed at conversion. Your position before God was changed. Is your life reflective of that inner transformation? What is your priority? positional change that happened in you at conversion is it being reflected in the practical change in your life and the application what are you making priority let's pray